When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. This is the Get Booked Podcast, a weekly show for personalized reading recommendations. This is episode 310, and we are recording on December 14th. I'm Jen Northington. I'm here with Amanda Nelson, and we are coming to you from Book Riot and the unseasonably warm December weather of Philadelphia. Oh, bomber. (laughs) It's going to be in the 60s this week, which I guess I'm not super sad about because it means eating outside at restaurants is nicer than... If it was freezing. Yeah. So there's that, I guess. I don't know. I just keep telling myself that we're still in autumn, so I should not be expecting mm. very chilly chilliness, but also climate change, you know. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Have you fired up your fireplace yet? I have once, but then it's the same here. It's like in the 60s. I don't know. Yeah. It's the South. I don't know. Every year I'm surprised that well, like it's December true and that. it's still in the 50s or whatever. <laughs> this is right. You live here. Good job. <laughs> Well, I know there was a lot of dramatic weather in various places this past week, so we're sending our thoughts to everybody affected by that. Mm -hmm. Uh, Hopefully you'll have some chiller, both literally and figuratively, (laughs) weather coming to you. All right, so what is this show you perhaps are wondering (laughs) if you are new here? It is, we swear, a reading recommendation show. You can send in your recommendation requests either via email, getbooked at bookriot.com, or you can drop them in the form that's at the bottom of the show notes on the site for each episode. And you can ask for a recommendation for yourself. It can be for a friend or relative, family member, book club, whatever. We will potentially find you some books. If it's time sensitive, please put Time sensitive, either in the subject line of the email or the very first line of the form. We will do our best to get back to you by the date that you put there. And it doesn't look like we have any feedback in the agenda this week. So we're going to dive right into our questions and picks. Take us away, Amanda. All right. Question one is from Marissa, who says, I'm writing for advice for Christmas gifts for two very different readers. Number one, a book for my husband. He likes to read, doesn't read a lot, though. He primarily likes nonfiction, but I'd like to get him into fiction this year. Books he's loved are Adventures of Cavalier and Clay by Michael Shaben, A Heartbreaking Work of Staggering Genius by Dave Eggers, High Fidelity by Nick Hornby, and Special Topics and Calamity Physics by Marisha Pessel. He recently read Station Eleven and Eleven Twenty Two Sixty Three. He liked them both. He didn't rave. Okay, the second is my dad. He's a voracious reader, loves historical fiction and mysteries, especially series. He loves Outlander, Poldark, Discovery of Witches, Maisie Dobbs, and the Purveen Mystery Novels. He's read everything by Louise Penny and adored The Gentleman in Moscow. Okay, let's hear from our first sponsor. Today's episode is brought to you by Bloom Books. Diana Dixon has a busy summer and no time for tall, gorgeous hockey player Shane's shenanigans. Because you know what? If they shenan once, they'll shenan again. So she thinks she knows exactly who he is when he moves into her apartment building. But turns out Shane's sick of hookups and tired of being on the rebound after his long-term girlfriend called it quits. But when his ex comes back into the picture, he needs a plan. And who better to play his new girlfriend than his sassy new neighbor? So a a fake relationship might be perfect for Diana's own ex issues, but Diana is used to living by the rules. Will she learn that when it comes to love, rules are meant to be broken? Make sure to check out The Dixon Rule by L. Kennedy. L. Kennedy is a New York Times and USA Today bestselling author with over a million copies of her books sold. So this is going to be another banger, y'all. Make sure to check it out. And thanks again to Bloom Books for sponsoring this episode. Today's episode is brought to you by Avid Reader Press. 
So this next book is a really fun sounding mashup of different genres. There's a little time travel, a little romance, a little spy thriller action going on. So in the near future, a civil servant is offered the salary of her dreams and is shortly afterward told what project she'll be working on. A recently established government ministry is gathering quote unquote expats from across history to establish whether time travel is feasible for the body, but also for the fabric of space time. This is an exquisitely original and feverishly fun fusion of genres and ideas. The Ministry of Time by Colleen Bradley asks, what does it mean to defy history when history is living in your house? Colleen Bradley's answer is a blazing, unforgettable testament to what we owe each other in a changing world. It kind of gives Outlander meets Cloud Atlas or If the Time Traveler's Wife was written by Sally Rooney or Colson Whitehead. Make sure to check out The Ministry of Time by Colleen Bradley. And thanks again to Avid Reader Press for sponsoring this episode. Um, okay, I will keep going since I took question number one. We split this. Your husband's list of loved novels is straight out of like 90s works of big best-selling banana pantsness. Like if you had added <laughs> David Foster Wallace, he'd be hitting like a postmodern trifecta. You know what I mean? So I went with The Secret History by Donna Tartt because she was very of that moment. And if he liked all of those Shaben Eggers, Hornby kind of vibes, I think he will be into Donna Tartt. So The Secret History is super famous. I don't even know if you need to sum up, but I will su- to sum up. That's from some movie that I cannot think of. Uh, da, 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 da. I will su- oh, it's from The Princess Bride. Thank you for, for coming on that ride with me. So this is about a group of college students at a New England, like a fake New England university. The main character, our narrator, is from a kind of like lower middle class background. He's going to this college where everybody's very fancy and very wealthy. He gets into a kind of special study group of kids who were studying the classics, like Greek and Roman classics, not like Dickens. And this is a, it's a motley crew, if you will. Um, very quirky. There's a, a brother and a sister. There's like the resident sad boy. There's like the resident <laughs> geek, you know, that kind of thing. The only girl in the group is a sister who is very manic pixie dream wealthy. And, you know, just Zoe Deschanel, just all the way. And they kill a dude, like, at the very beginning. (laughs) The opening sequence, this is not a spoiler, is this group, probably very drunk, in the woods, and they kill a farmer. And, or is it, I'm pretty sure he's a farmer. And then you are, like, a groundskeeper. And then you are with the narrator as he goes back in time and brings you around to, like, how they got to that point. To the point where... They are in the woods, drunk and murdering people and like what they're going to do about it. And it sounds, you know, if you if you read that description or you hear me talk about it, it sounds like a YA novel. It is very not, not a YA novel. Like this is not, there's no coming of age. That's not what's happening here. This is like kind of about weird cult behavior and tra- like the, the lengths we will go to to fit in. It is very heavy in heft. It's, he- it's a hefty book, but also has this kind of mystery element. And uh, it's, it's oddly fast paced for like a 90s postmodern work. It came out in 1992. Uh, so I think that he will really like it because it's got those same kind of lofty intelligentsia vibes as a lot of the books he's already read, but it's super, super fast paced. So if he liked Station Eleven and the Stephen King, uh, if the things he liked about those books were that they, they're compelling and they keep you turning the page, I think The Secret, the secret History will, will do that as well. So that's The Secret History by Donna Tartt. You gave like 14 possible show titles in that description. <laughs> I speak I in only show wrote title down now. one, but just, just FYI. Uh, let's see. Okay, so I took the dad. I love to hear about dads who love Outlanders. Mm-hmm. Side note, mm-hmm. it's amazing. And I'm recommending the Mistress of the Art of Death series by Ariana Franklin. That is also the name of the first book in this series because it seems pretty clear that he, I mean, you said he loves historical fiction and mysteries and series. And this series has a few books in it. And it is all about a woman who is living in like medieval times who is like the medieval version of a forensic examiner. Like, she is a scientist, which is a hard thing to be when you are a woman in the medieval times. <laughs> but she has been, like, taken on as a pro- a, a protege and also a prodigy by this Italian doctor. And she is, like, good at looking at 
corpses and figuring out what happened to them. And she gets called to Cambridge because... So, oh, right. Before I like go into this, content warnings for anti-Semitism and harm to children. So she gets called to Cambridge because people are targeting the Jewish community of the town. Four children have been murdered and they're like in their very medieval way looking for a scapegoat. And so uh, the king is like, I don't want this to get out of hand. Also, I get a lot of funding from that community. So like somebody come and find me the real murderer. So Adelia goes and becomes part of this whole investigation. And that's like the series. She's very wandering around medieval Europe solving crimes with forensics, but in medieval times. It's super enjoyable in like that weird way that it would be. And the characters are great. And I just think it has a lot of the same elements as other things that he's read. And I think he'll really dig it. So again, that is The Mistress of the Art of Death series by Ariana Franklin. All right. Next question is from Jordan, who is looking for a great read for brother-in-law's upcoming birthday. This is a really long Mm -hmm. note, so I'm going to do some summing up on the fly. So my brother-in-law is a really admirable person. He's a tutor for a lot of kids and young adults. I really want to get him a book about education, teaching, learning, science, or any mix thereof. He struggled through elementary and high school, um, but then got a diagnosis of ADHD, which completely changed his ability to succeed. He's a really hard worker and very dedicated, endless empathy for students, and finds ways to make learning fun and applicable to all of them. He works a lot with kids who have learning disabilities. Would love to get him a book for his upcoming birthday. Uh, He reads almost exclusively academic articles, but I've learned so much from reading fiction, memoirs, poetry, short stories, and the like. He used to read fantasy novels, but hasn't for many years. He enjoys superhero and popular epic movies like Lord of the Rings and plays tabletop and role-playing games like War Machines and Dungeons and Dragons. I would love to get him something that might remind him of the value of reading, even when the thing he's reading isn't (laughs) peer-reviewed. I was thinking maybe a memoir. Uh, Open to fiction also. I just thought a memoir might help with the transition from pure science to more literary genres. Okay, Amanda, Mm. what do you have for this, this lovely question? Yes. So I kind of latched on to wanting to get him a book about education or teaching and also the empathy portion of your question. And I picked Push Out by Monique W. Morris. The subtitle of this book is The Criminalization of Black Girls in Schools. And I think for somebody like your brother-in-law who is very interested in teaching and teaching well, this is kind of a must read. And it was I first heard of it because one of my close friends and one of our contributors, actually, Nikki DeMarco, is a She's a librarian now in a high school, but she was a teacher for many years, and it was recommended by her. And so this is about exactly what it sounds like, the criminalization of Black girls in schools. About 16% of female students in the U.S. are Black girls, but over a third of girls with like a school-related arrest are Black girls. So they are way, like very disproportionately criminalized and punished and taken out of the learning environment to be put into institutions like juvenile facilities, prisons, and things like that. Um, So it is about the, she doesn't call it the school to prison pipeline. She calls it the school to confinement pipeline because it's not just that they can end up incarcerated. They also will end up in like foster care or Mm. like removed from their homes. And the examples that she gives are really, really heartbreaking. Like she talks about a 15-year-old girl named Diamond who was expelled for getting into fights because she was being teased about being trafficked. And like the students knew she was being trafficked, but none of the teachers caught it. And this is, there's a possibility for defensiveness in a reader in this book because I assume most of the readers are educators. And this book comes hard for educators. Like it is not pulling punches about how, you know, most teachers are white women most administrators are dudes or like white dudes. And that combination is not great for black girls, even if the teachers and administrators are well-meaning, which nine times out of 10, of course, they are. But there's also like police presence in schools, which is a huge problem, especially for black students, male and female and non-binary. So there's a lot. There's a lot here. And I'm not you didn't mention if he intends to go into public school teaching uh, when he's done with his academic life and like you know, if he's going to tutor after that or, or or not. But it's it's just, I really think, very important for anyone who deals with educating anyone <laughs> or interacting with the education system, especially the public education system in the U.S. in any way, really, really needs to read this. So that's Push Out, The Criminalization of Black Girls in Schools by Monique W. Morris. That's a great recommendation. I'm also really <laughs> glad that you followed the brief, Amanda, because I did not. <laughs> I went off. 
In another direction, because you said he likes fantasy and superhero movies and all of those things. And I was like, well, the thing I am recommending, then <laughs> is The City We Became by N.K. Jemisin, which is like one of the leading fantasy writers of our time during her, during her version of a Marvel movie, mm. which is amazing. Like, it's amazing. Content warnings for racism in this book. It's definitely a huge part of it. Uh, but this is about what if cities could achieve a sentience. And the sort of premise is that when a city gets to a certain size or age or like level of cohesiveness, it sort of gets birthed into a sentient being. Not all cities achieve this, only some. And it requires people, a usually one person in the city to become like an avatar of that city, which is also a protector. But this is not a process without problems and risks. And there is an entity that tries to prevent this from happening and sort of like eats the soul of the city. It's like very, it's kind of Lovecraftian is the word. And of course, New York City being New York City with its very distinct boroughs, it doesn't get one avatar, it gets like five. So you are following all of these different people who suddenly find out of nowhere that they have powers and a connection to their borough and to the city that is supernatural and the dark entity that is coming for the city to try to prevent this from all happening the way it's supposed to. And the characters are so interesting. This is such like a dive into what it feels like to be in New York City. And I I did live there. And so I have like a special fondness in my heart for it. But I've talked to other people who haven't lived in New York. And like, you don't need to have lived there to feel immersed in this. And I just think, yeah, it's got action. It's got fascinating concepts. It's really interesting on like the way people interact with each other and what it means to belong to a community. And of course, she's tackling all of these like social, cultural, political issues that we are facing both as a country and that New York in particular is facing as a city. So there's a lot going on here, but it is so compulsively readable that when I was reading this, I happened to be on a trip to New York on the subway and I missed my stops three times oh. because I, ever, I just could I was just so sucked in. I couldn't stop turning the pages. So I think for somebody who like is a little bit struggling with finding the focus, like this could be a real good pull in. So again, that's The City We Became by N.K. Jemison. All right. Our next question is from Jessica, who says, I'm looking for a Christmas book. I don't typically read romance, but it seems like that is the only feel-good Christmas book. I've read and enjoyed The Switch and In a Holidays. I'm currently reading Krampus after hearing about it on the show. I like it, but I'm looking for feel-good. Okay. <laughs> Krampus is not feel-good. You are correct. Not so much. Not so, much. <laughs> so I went with The Holiday Switch by Tiff Marcello, which I just finished. It was my obligatory feel-good Christmas read, which I... Like almost never do, not because I have anything against it, but because by the time I remember it's a thing I could do, it's like Christmas time. Like it's over. <laughs> I don't have time to do it anymore, but I got all I was on the ball this year. So the holiday switch, as I said, is by Tiff Marcello, who is like a personal hero of I love her so much. She's a Filipina, she is a veteran, she was a nurse in the army, she's got four kids, like she is doing the most and writing all of these books. And this is a YA holiday romance. It takes place in a Holly, New York, which is like up in the Finger Lakes, which in the book was the setting of uh, the place where a very famous Christmas romance movie was filmed. And so there's that's like their whole tourist industry is based around that movie. People come because they want to see the set. They want to see the places where, you know, the movie took place, the different scenes and all of that. So like Christmas tourism is their number one go to thing. The main character's name is Lila. She comes from a really big Filipino family and she works at the inn where most people come to stay while they're doing their holiday tourism. She also has a secret book blog called Tinsel and Tropes, which is only oh about gosh. holiday romances. Like it is amazing. <laughs> and her, her book blog is a secret because her family had kind of a, a, a public financial issue that led to them being doxxed. And so her parents are very like they have a lot of rules about what the kids can do online and like revealing their identities online and things like that. So she is anonymous on this blog, uh, but she is secretly doing that while working at the inn gift shop to make money to go to school. Her family doesn't have a lot of money, so she's really working for scholarships and to like pay her way. She's going to be a doctor, this whole thing. She's very type A, like as I'm sure you can tell from my description of her, like very goal oriented. All details are done. She really likes to follow rules. If you know the Enneagram, she's a one, like the one is one who ever won. 
And then our hero is Teddy, who is not like that. <laughs> Teddy, like, he, he's the nephew of the woman who owns the inn, he, who is also Filipino. So he comes in um, to the scene and, like, takes all her hours because he needs something to do. And, like, the aunt just gives him the hours. So she's, like, automatically annoyed by him. Um, he's very cute, which she finds also automatically annoying. He's got, like, muscles. Ugh, annoying. And he doesn't care <laughs> about her rules. Like, he comes in to work these shifts and does everything wrong. Like, he wants to change everything. Of course, his suggestions always end up being like pretty smart but she doesn't care rules are rules and so they have this inherent kind of personality clash they accidentally switch phones because they have the same phone because everybody has the same phone uh and through that they discover each other's secrets he discovers she has the secret book blog she discovers that he is secretly a rock climber even though his family is very against it and then from there they have to like navigate that they know these things about each other. And they go from being kind of frenemies to like supporting each other in these things that they are both pursuing against their family's wishes. It is lovely. Like the romance is very sweet. You know, this is a YA novel. Like it's very heartwarming. The family situation is great. I'd like you, you know, I say the parents are strict and the, the parents don't support this, that or the other. But these are just the perceptions of the kids. The parents are big characters in this book and like the whole the families come together to eventually support the kids and the thing they want to do so like just heart eyes heart eyes heart emoji heart eyes love it so much so that's the holiday <laughs> switch by tiff marcello i'm like over here putting things on hold <laughs> <laughs> it is just the cutest <laughs> put it in my brain uh all right so <laughs> i'm recommending jasmine guillory's royal holiday which like as always, it's technically number four in the wedding date series, but who cares? Like, it's fine. <laughs> and this, I think you will enjoy in part because uh, you said you liked The Switch, which has an amazing older protagonist. And so does Royal Holiday. This is about Vivian, who is like a grown woman who with a grown daughter. And her daughter Maddie is like a stylist to the fancy people. And so she has been hired to go to England to style a royal family member during the holidays. And so Vivian gets the chance to like tag along. Like, and she's like, obviously, yes, I want to go to England during the holidays and be around the royals and like bask in whatever extravagance that's going to be. Like, yes, ma'am, I will do that thing. And our hero is Malcolm Hudson, who is the Queen's secretary and is like very busy and important, but finds himself completely enraptured by this very no-nonsense American black woman who is just like here to tag along and like have her fun. And so they have a fling. That, of course, you can guess, like, is it just going to be a fling? Well, I don't know. What do you think? <laughs> and there's all kinds of, you know, things. But, like, it, it, it is, like, the holidayest of holidays. Like, there's all of these descriptions of, you know, the cookies and the decorations. And, like, I love this idea of, like, being on the outskirts of royalty in a romance novel. Because so often they're about the royals or they're about, like, somebody who has no connection. So being sort of on the fringes... I I think a really fun experiment and uh yeah and Jasmine Guillory is great at like that rom-com feel so again that is Royal Holiday by Jasmine Guillory all right our next question is from Chandra who says let's see the last two years have done a number on me and facing 2022 is overwhelming to say the least Chandra we feel you mm. it is indeed uh, all right. So Chandra says, my coping mechanism has been to dive into absorbing historical fiction. Last summer, I read Hilary Mantel's Thomas Cromwell trilogy, and it was exactly what I needed. Different place, different time, different problems, heavy on details and characters. I need to read about a place slash time where I can literally look up what happens in order to feel like there's some order to the universe. Mm. Is there anything like the Cromwell trilogy for other countries slash cultures, especially Russia? I have read Shogun and both Matrix and The White Boat are already on my radar. Amanda, <laughs> you have such a good pick for this one. Thank you. So I picked She Who Became the Sun by Shelley Parker Chan, which I feel like you need to say, like, She Who Became the Sun, and then, like, <laughs> flames come out of the side of your head, and, like, metal music starts playing, because this is the most hardcore <laughs> book I have ever read in my life. So this is a queer retelling of Mulan, and some of the blurbs I've read of it are like Mulan meets the Song of Achilles, which I guess is, I mean, yes, in as much as like it's a queer visioning of a really popular story from history. 
So this is about a girl who's born like as a, a daughter, like the second daughter of a very poor rural Chinese family. And she... Uh, has an older brother who is much more, you know, like beloved by the family and is because he's a boy. And a truth seer comes and foresees that the boy is destined for greatness and that the girl is destined for nothing because girl. And then a group of bandits come through in the very beginning of the book and the father dies, leaves the kids orphans, and the boy just gives up the ghost, like immediately perishes from grief and anguish and hopelessness. And so the girl very quietly steals his fate. Like she takes on his identity. And the assumption that she's making here is that the gods will give her the fate that her brother had, which is to become great. And and as long as she's just like chill about it (laughs) and doesn't get caught, they will never like the gods will never know that she is actually herself. And so she goes off and joins a monastery under her brother's name. And is like in the monastery for several years. She grows up there and becomes an adult. The monastery is sacked one day by an invading army. And then she goes to work for the rebels who were trying to fight what is essentially the Mongols. And the whole time she's pretending to be her brother. Like she takes his name. She's pretending to be a man. If she gets caught, very bad consequences will fall down upon her. But she's also not pretending to be a man. She's also not not pretending. It's very like... The thing that I love about the it's super violent, first of all, which like you take Mulan and just make it Mulan is about war. Like, why is that? Because mm. it's a Disney movie is the answer. But like, why is there not more bloodshed? You know, it's a cartoon. This is definitely a lot more violent, more realistic uh, as far as like the effects of war on like the countryside and normal people. But it takes the gender binary and just burns it entirely to the ground mm. and then takes like the Western concept of even the idea of being non-binary and burn that to the ground. Like I, I was so far out of my lane, which I love. I love a book that ta- that makes me feel like I have no idea what opinion I'm supposed to have about the thing that's being told to me because I have no authority here. Like I love that feeling. I love the feeling like I'm learning, like I'm a little out to see, like my good liberal hat is not helping me here. That's such a great and healthy thing I think a lot of people <laughs> need to feel. But it is just metal, like... She spares no one. She's a very ethically, I wouldn't even say gray character. Like, this is not a good person. (laughs) But she's, like, such a victim of circumstance. And what else is she supposed to do if she's going to survive? And also, not just survive, but, like, have a life that looks anything like the life that she feels entitled to. Which, that whole concept for a girl in 1340 is, like, just so revolutionary that, of course, she has to pretend to be an entirely different person the whole time. So, yeah, there's like some supernatural elements to it a little bit, like the fire of heaven that is visited upon the person who Mm. is supposed to be the emperor is not a metaphor in this book. Like it is a literal visible phenomenon, um, which is really interesting. So like the gods are actually kind of like doing a thing here, um, but also letting her live her very best life, which really includes like killing a surprising amount of people. So that is She Who Became the Sun, subtitle, the most metal book you've ever read in your life by (laughs) Shelley Parker Chan. (laughs) It's so good, though. It's so freaking good. Oh, and it's the first book in a series, but it's brand new. So like the other books have not come out, but just like hang on for the ride. I promise. Yeah. Cosine, extreme cosine. Uh, so I I could not find you a Russia one. I'm sorry. Yes. I, d- I couldn't think of one. But if y'all are listening and have a recommendation, please to chime in. Uh, but I did think of the Ibis Trilogy by Amitav Ghosh. The Sea of Poppies is the first one. And this is epic historical fiction that covers a bunch of different places sort of oriented around the Indian Ocean and the trade uh, and like colonization uh, and all of the things that are going on in that region of the world. So you have like the Dutch East India Company and like migrants to Canton and the Ganges and like all of these different places and people. And you're getting this really wide range of characters. Whereas like, you know, the Cromwell trilogy is like hyper focused, right? Everybody's literally everyone's name is Thomas. And it's (laughs) It's just like a super (laughs) zoom in. Yeah, it's so confusing. It is a super I mean, it's great, Mm -hmm. but it is extremely confusing. And it's a zoom in of this one particular court and like all of the political machinations. This is like the zoom out through these characters you see like all of these big things and movements and you know circumstances that are going on in the world but you care so much about these characters which is how it all hangs together and Ghosh is an amazing writer I mean I think you know he's like said some pretentious things about other writers so like you know that's that's like a thing that happened but 
He's a very good writer for all of that. And I think the style of it is what you're looking for, as well as just the feel of like you are going to be immersed in this trilogy, in these characters, like you're going to get taken out of your what your your brain and your place and your time. So, again, that is the Ibis trilogy by Amitav Ghosh. Uh, the first is The Sea of Poppies. And now it's time for another sponsor break. Today's episode is brought to you by Sourcebooks Landmark. So King Solomon says something very interesting to his son before he dies, and that is, quote, don't let the white man take the house, end quote. These, as I just mentioned, are King Solomon's last words to his son as he dies. Now, all four Solomon siblings must return to North Carolina to save the kingdom, their ancestral home, and 200 acres of land from a development company. Told in alternating viewpoints, Long After We Are Gone by Tara Shelton Harris is a searing portrait of the power of family and letting go of things that no longer serve you, exploring the burden of familial expectations, the detriment of miscommunication, and the lessons and legacies we pass on to our children. It's an explosive and emotional story of four siblings, each fighting their own personal battle, because who isn't, who return home in the wake of their father's death. Make sure to check out Long After We Are Gone by Tara Shelton Harris. And thanks again to Sourcebooks Landmark for sponsoring this episode. Today's episode is brought to you by Disney Books. Do y'all like Caribbean mythology? What's more, a thriller inspired by Caribbean mythology? If you do, I got something for you. A must-read thriller that draws from the darkest corners of Caribbean mythology from acclaimed author Sarah Das, who crafts a chilling tale of magic, murder, and how far we'll go to protect what's ours. It's perfect for fans of Angeline Bully and Tiffany D. Jackson. So, unlike other people on the small island of St. Virgil, Selena Da Silva does not believe in magic. She has a logical mind. She likes botany. She wants to study pharmacology. But then her mother gets sick and she's tethered to the island and she has to make money. So what does she do? She cons a couple gullible tourists with these useless talismans and phony protection rituals. But then one of the tourists ends up dead and at the center of a strange string of murders. And the truth Selena has been denying can no longer be avoided. There is evil lurking in the forest that surround St. Virgil. Now to find out what that evil is, make sure to pick up It Waits in the Forest by Sarah Das. And thanks again to Disney Books for sponsoring this episode. All right. Our next question is from Quinn, who says, I'm looking for a book to gift my roommate. She enjoys memoirs and contemporary fiction. I know that she's read and enjoyed books like When Breath Becomes Air and Crying in H Mart. I'm looking to give her an adult fiction book without fantasy elements that might give her the same feel as a memoir because it focuses on or has a very highly developed main character. Bonus points if the main character is part of the LGBTQ plus community. I'm thinking about giving her The Seven Husbands of Evelyn Hugo, but any other recommendations would be greatly appreciated. So The Seven Husbands of Evelyn Hugo is great. Go with God on that one. Uh, I am also recommending Freshwater by Akweki Amezi, which has trigger warnings for sexual assault, mental illness, and self-harm. I picked this one because it is a memoir slash contemporary fiction. Like, it's a mashup, I think, of a lot of the things that your roommate finds interesting. A, a memovel? A memoir? I don't know. It's like a novel memoir. Like, this is very much based on the author's lived experience with mental health and the gender expression and like I but it's also classified as fiction everywhere you go so I don't know do with that what you will so this is about a woman named Ada who was born in Nigeria and her parents like prayed for her to be born and then as soon as she's born and starts to be able to express her personality they're all they can immediately tell that something is a little bit off and the reason that the book gives for her kind of fractured personality she behaves differently depending on situations uh, is that she was born with like one foot on the other side is the way that they phrase it like she's born with a god inside her so she's living in the earth you know interacting with like kids at school or whatever but also is maybe a little bit of a supernatural being and then she moves out of Nigeria moves to the U.S. to go to college and when she's there she gets assaulted and then her kind of alternative selves that have been living inside her this god that she was born housing and then and then another one called Saint Vincent take over like she has this awful traumatic experience and to protect her these different versions of herself come forward and then she just kind of spirals into this really dark place and I think you could tell from my explanation from like the synopsis that this is a kind of 
to a Western mind, an almost standard description of like a multiple personality disorder or some or something to that effect, um, or like PTSD. And all of that is is maybe true. But what Amezi is pushing back on is the idea that like Western medicine knows all of the things about all of the things. Like Amezi really believes, and I've watched some interviews with them that that this is an accurate depiction of what is happening to them. Like that that the supernatural elements are real as they've experienced them. And that the idea that there's just something wrong with their brain is not a full or complete or even particularly accurate explanation of their lived experience. So it's exploring gender, it's exploring like colonialism, specifically as it has to deal with the medical industry. And like I said, when I talked about the Shelley Parker Chan book, this is one where I felt very up to see, like, I am not none of this is my lane. So I'm just here to be told what you know, Amezi's lived experiences, and then to just take it in and, and sit with it and think on it, I think as a Western reader, that's really kind of our role with this book. Um, so there's a lot to chew on. Um, Amezi is uh, in the LGBTQ plus community, and, uh, and Ada, the main character, is also because it's a memoir, which is a terrible word that I just invented. <laughs> Memovel. I can't. I can't. Let me stop. Okay, so that's Freshwater by Aquaki Amezi. <laughs> just over here making up words. It's fine. That's how we do. <laughs> So I confess I also, I mean, you said you didn't want fantasy elements, but mine doesn't technically have fantasy. It's got a little surrealism in Mm. it. Uh, I don't care. It's so good. (laughs) It's So Lucky by Nicola Griffith, which also does come out of the author's lived experiences. The publisher refers to it as an autobiographical novel, which is less fun to say than my novel, but here we are. (laughs) Uh, And this is, this is so good. It's really powerful. It's about a woman named Mara who is the head of like a huge, very prestigious AIDS foundation. She's a committed martial artist. She's married. She and her wife are like happy uh, or so it seems. But then everything gets sort of flipped. Her wife leaves her and she is also simultaneously diagnosed with multiple sclerosis and she does not know how to be herself anymore. She's struggling with people's changed perceptions of her, um, how to move forward when her body is suddenly very different from how it has been and what she can do and can't do are extremely different. You know, what what can she continue in her job? Like, what does she do about being separated from her wife? Like, what are all these huge life upsets? Like, what is she, what is she going to do about it? And it is so sharp because Mara is so mad for good reason. And she is not. She's also making choices that, like, are perhaps not in her best interest, but are completely understandable and come from a very real place. And you watch her just trying to figure all this stuff out and like, what do you do with all of this anger and rage when suddenly your life goes completely sideways and you have no control over any of these things? And like, how do you move forward? Like, these are the big questions that are being explored in this novel. And it is so good. It's also really thoughtful about what it means to be disabled and chronically ill in America, like what programs exist and do not exist, what the medical situation is like, you know, accessibility issues, like all of these things. And also, you know, what that does to you as a person, like mentally to receive this diagnosis and figure out like, okay, who am I now? And it's just so unapologetic and it's so thoughtful and it is so powerful. And it just really has all of these amazing moments in it. Um, And I think it definitely is going to be inside of your friend's wheelhouse, your roommate's wheelhouse. So again, that's So Lucky by Nicola Griffith. All right. Our next question is from Sarah, who says, I've been running my work book club for 10 years now, Mm. and I'm quite honestly running out of books to recommend. Each six months or so, I create a list of books for the group to pick from. The ones with the most votes are the ones we read. The group has a penchant for thrillers and do not like magical realism. We need the books to be available easily in the UK and in paperback. Please, any suggestions? Listen, 10 years is a long time to be running a book club. That is is fortitude right there. (laughs) Amanda, what did you pick? Okay, I... This one is... Interesting because uh, since it's a workbook club, I didn't want to pick a thriller that was like too grisly. So I tried to find one that was not 
super bloody, I guess is what I'm trying to say. So I picked The Lost Man by Jane Harper, which comes with trigger warnings for domestic violence and sexual assault. Despite that, not too grisly. The murder is more desiccated than than splattery, if you get you don't get what I'm saying because I haven't explained it yet. So this takes place in Queensland, Australia. <laughs> Look, it's the end of the year. I'm just saying whatever comes into my brain now. So this takes place in Queensland, Australia, which is like the outback, like very desolate, very dangerous place to live. And a couple of brothers live on, not competing, uh, what's it, neighboring ranches, you know, and these are ranches that are miles and miles and miles big, large square miles. Um, And so one of them, Cameron, is found dead at the Stockman's grave, which is a landmark that's kind of between the two ranches that's been there for so long that nobody can really remember who's buried there or why or how they died or anything about it. So they just call it the Stockman's grave. He's found, uh, Cameron is the name of the brother, he's found there with no water, no food, no shade, no nothing, like hiding in the shadow of this gravestone. And he's died of exposure, like dehydration, hence my thing about being desiccated. Um, He's died of dehydration and exposure. And the authorities rule it a suicide. But the brothers, the two remaining brothers are like, that makes no sense. Like this was not a troubled man. He was about to expand his business. He's married, has like two young kids, very happy. Why would he do such a thing is like the kind of attitude. Um, And plus, he's not unskilled at surviving in the outback. He They find his car several miles away from where his body is found, and it's got all of his emergency supplies in it. It's got his water. It's got his radio. It's got, you know, like a, a shade blanket, all the things that you would need if you got stuck out in the outback uh, with no way of getting out. So he abandoned his car and then just went to hang out by this gravestone. No, 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 my friend. So the brothers kind of go not on a quest, but like they start poking around, right? It doesn't make any sense. And... Cameron's wife is also like, yeah, that's weird, you know, and the mother who lives on the ranch is also like, yeah, strange. And so they start digging into his past and some secrets start to come out. And what happened becomes clearer and clearer and clearer. So it's not a, 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 a like gross or grisly kind of murder mystery, but it's definitely a thriller. And it feels very claustrophobic, even though it takes place in this giant wild wilderness with thousands of miles around you there's no one around like there's no one there's nothing there's nowhere to go if you leave the ranch in the middle of the day you're probably going to die like you are stuck with these people who maybe you don't know as well as you thought you did probably because you live 2,000 miles away on a neighboring ranch and that's like the closest neighbor that's weird so I don't know (laughs) yeah so it's um very it's fast paced and it's in a, a different enough kind of environment that I think it's that's like really compelling unless your book club is in Australia, but it's not you said the UK. So I think, you know, the outback is like far enough away that you could feel transported in that kind of fun way that books have. So that's The Lost Man by Jane Harper. All right. I am recommending the Lady Sherlock series by Sherry Thomas, because why not? <laughs> I just felt like this would be a great, like, it would just be a really fun book club book, especially if you are needing sort of a break from heavier stuff, but you want something that's still in line with the group's general interest. And like, who doesn't love a gender bent Sherlock retelling? Mm-hmm. Like, come on now. Also, if people do like it, you could mix in. There are six books in this series now, and I just heard Vanessa talking about how much she loves book number six on all the books. So, like, they continue to be great. So you could sort of intersperse them if if people were on board with that, which would be I think would be super fun to do. So the first book is A Study in Scarlet Women. But the thing that you need to know about this is, like, the overall premise is that in this retelling of Sherlock Holmes' Sherlock is a woman named Charlotte who is pretending that she is a brother named Sherlock. She grew up in this, like, very proper, you know, society family and has never really felt like she fit in. She's not interested in getting married. She has, like, a very prodigious mind and just wants to be left to her own devices and do what she's good at, which is figuring out, like, un, you know, solving mysteries, decoding puzzles, like, doing the thing. And so she decides to ruin herself so that she cannot get married because that would be like too, nobody would have her. Um, and so she proceeds to do that thing and then finds a sort of a woman who is a retired actress, who is our Watson character here, to be her like she's going to be the lady's companion to this woman. 
who is super on board with the whole thing. Like, yes, let's do this thing. That sounds super fun. What else am I doing with my life and my skills in a, as an actress? Like, on we go. And so they solve mysteries. There's a romance. Uh, there's all kinds of different references to the Sherlock books that are really satisfying if you are familiar with them, but you do not need to be super familiar with Sherlock to enjoy this. And, like, Sherry Thomas is just so good and so good at, like, smart fun mm-hmm. is how I want to characterize this. So again, that is the Lady Sherlock series by Sherry Thomas. The first book is A Study in Scarlet Women. All right. Our last question is from Sarah, who says, my father's birthday is the end of January. Last year, I wrapped four books in brown paper and told him to open one at a time when he was ready for a new book. I put a little blurb on the front, genre, topic, etc. He loved it so much he wants me to do it again. I could use help with more titles that you think might work for him. He likes thrillers and mysteries, crime novels, true crime nonfiction, and other nonfiction, especially in sports or business. Past titles that worked for him are Dark Matter, The Biggest Bluff, Strike Me Down, The Martian, Born a Crime, and Bad Blood. Okay, I latched on to the Bad Blood businessy book kind of thing, and I went with Billion Dollar Loser uh, by Reeves Wedeman, which is a look at the complete disaster that is WeWork. (laughs) And if you remember, (laughs) it's so good. It's so good. So if you remember WeWork, it was supposed to be this like revolution, you know, disruptor. I throw up in my mouth a little disruptor (laughs) of remote work space kind of a thing. Uh, It had it, it was it reached a billion dollars. It was a Silicon Valley unicorn totally botched their IPO and the CEO Adam Newman was ousted very soon after that. I don't even know if WeWork is still around. I think they are, but like not mm-hmm. like they were when they were being talked about um, a couple of years ago. So it's fascinating. And in the, it's a lot of this. It's going to strike a lot of the same notes as Bad Blood. Adam Newman is not a con artist like Elizabeth. What's her name is from Bad Holmes. Blood? Holmes. Thank you. Um, but he is he's more of an Elon Musk, but not as smart kind of a kind of a character. <laughs> like very full of himself. He's an immigrant. He came to the U.S. from Israel and kind of ha- completely full of himself. What we work is is a real estate company, right? Like they were taking surplus New York City office space and turning them into remote work spaces, like co-working spaces, essentially. And he thought that that was somehow going to like elevate the world's consciousness and change the way that Americans do business entirely and totally change the world, blah, blah, blah. Like very Elon Musk, just total nonsense. Like you have a you make cars, Elon, calm down, you know, and Adam, you make an office, you don't even do you rent office space, chop it up into square footage, and then rent it out again. Like, that's all you're doing. But that's not what he thought. And this led to investors were just so drawn to his charisma, again, in that Elizabeth Holmes comes away, so drawn to his charisma and this vision that he was casting. And the more books like this I read, the more I really think that VC investors are very dumb. Like, they're just very, <laughs> they fall for the most just nonsense pitches anyway so this led to the 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 meteoric rise of WeWork it was everywhere if you were reading like business media in the 2000s meteoric rise complete bonkers disintegration in a really public embarrassing way and it's such a riveting book because it's like a day-by-day accounting of the last like month before the IPO which is was really the end of the road for Adam Newman so that's billion dollar loser the epic rise and spectacular fall of Adam Newman and WeWork by Reeves Whiteman. <laughs> we actually looked at a WeWork space back in the oh day God. when I was still at Book Riot and we were looking for New York space because there were suddenly enough of it that we needed like an office, uh-huh. enough of us rather. And we went to the one that was near, oh, which one was it? It was near one of the major, uh, it was probably near Penn Station. Mm. And it was like, glass boxes, tiny glass boxes that you could work, like see your neighbors, like no sound control whatsoever. Plus like kegs and a, and a like, you know, foosball table or whatever. Mm. Like, and we were just like, why are we going to pay extra for a keg when we're going to be right on top of our neighbors? Like that is so unnecessary. Yeah. And we found like an indie space that was doing the same thing that was much more affordable in Brooklyn. Surprise. Um, anyway. <laughs> Big Silicon Valley energy. <laughs> I know. Just the most ridiculous. Okay. All right. That's enough ranting about IPOs and whatnot. Um, So 
inevitably, I latched onto the sci-fi titles you mentioned, Dark Matter by Blake Crouch and The Martian by Andy Weir. And for your dad, I am recommending We Have Always Been Here by Lena Nguyen, which is one of my favorite books mm. of the year, no doubt. It is such an enjoyable, hard sci-fi, like, space murder situation with great characters. I will give content warnings for y'all for ableist language around mental health used by some of the secondary characters. That's just a thing to know. But the main character, Grace Park, is a psychologist who's like not super into people, like just not that into people. She's like never Mm -hmm. been super comfortable in social interactions. And people have always like she got bullied in elementary school. She's always gotten along better with the AI who are, like, part of society in various ways. But she also, like, has interest in studying, like, why are people like this? So she (laughs) has become a psychologist, but she's, like, enhanced in certain ways so that she can read body language and, like, facial tics and that kind of thing. So she's not the, like, sit down on my couch and talk to me about your problems kind of psychologist. Like, she's the kind who's, like, looking you over to see what you're telling her about yourself that you may not be aware of, which, of course, understandably, people find... Not that great. Mm. So she has been assigned by this like mega corporation that controls a lot of what's going on in planetary exploration and humanity like being out and about in space. She's been assigned to be the secondary psychologist on this survey ship that is going to like an ice planet in an unexplored galaxy. And as they get closer and then to the planet itself, everything goes to heck in a handbasket. Like, people are disappearing. People are getting sick. Strange things are going on. Like, one of the crew members appears to be having a nervous breakdown. Like, the AIs are behaving very strangely. Like, everything is weird. And she is trying to figure out why. Like, what is going on? Mm -hmm. And nobody is cooperating with her because nobody likes her. So that makes it extra hard. And it is so stressful in the most satisfying way. Like, I felt like I was holding my breath the entire time I was reading this book. The science is really interesting. The characters, like I said, are great. You get a little bit of Grace's backstory as well as her current present day in a nice pacing twist. And I just think that anybody who likes some of the books that you recommend or that you have recommended to your dad will also enjoy this one. So again, that's We Have Always Been Here by Lena Nguyen. And yeah. That's that's our show. <laughs> what a ride that was. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Holiday crazies, y'all. It's uh, our brains are in a special place right now. <laughs> Thanks so much to our audio editor, Jen Zink, as always, for cleaning the show up and making us sound like we know what we're talking about. Uh, thanks to you all for listening. We super appreciate you and your continued great feedback and questions. For more recommendations, you can check out bookriot.com. You can also find our other podcasts at bookriot.com slash listen. If you would like to leave us a rating and or a review on Apple Podcasts, we would super appreciate that. We also super appreciate our sponsors for making the show possible. And in between shows, you can find us on social media. Amanda, where are you? I'm on Instagram at I'm Amanda Nelson. And you can find me on Twitter and Tumblr as Jen IRL, J-E-N-N-I-R-L, or on Instagram as I am Jen IRL. And we will talk to you next year mm. because this is our last full show of 2021. No, oh, I think we have one more. Oh, do we? Yeah. Oh, you're right. I don't know what day it is, y'all. I don't know what year it is. Never mind. We'll talk to you next week. Okay, bye. Bye. <laughs>